community. Uh, but if you weren't here last night, uh, the rest of us have a quiz. And we're going to share what we learned as we memorized. Romans 10:9. if you confess with your lips and confess that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that he was risen from the dead, you will be saved. And so that was our confession out loud. Um, when we did that, we, we came up and, and got a punch hole for uh, our ticket punch to go to heaven. Um, now, tonight, we have a new verse, and I really am um, pleading with you, if you're not someone that memorizes scripture, this is a good time to do that. Um, my Bible study teacher all the way in high school, I can't remember what grade I got uh, in his class in history, but... He really impressed upon me, Mary, you need to memorize the word of God, and it will come back to you in the time you need it most. So these are the scriptures that we're following in these three days. And so tonight's scripture is Romans 1, um, 16, and this is from Paul, who says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who has faith. Let's say it again. I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is a power of God for salvation for everyone who has faith. Let us pray. God, thank you so much for your word that is living and active. And we pray tonight that your word would speak to us once more and move us off the map to where you would have us be. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So you got your tickets punched. You're going on a cruise to heaven. Some of you uh, came last night with your spouse and said, do we have to share a room? And I said, I don't think there's marriages in heaven, so you're okay with that. But uh, they were just joking. Uh, but we will have rooms suited for us, fitted for us. We don't have to worry about that. But how many of us are going on a trip and, and it was this great destination and you don't tell anybody, and you don't invite anybody. You just say, it's all about me. I'm going to go. I'm going to have fun. But I'm not inviting anybody with me. Do you think that's a little bit about what we do in church? We, we kind of know the way. We know the way to heaven through Jesus Christ. And we get our ticket punched, and then we sit back in the pew and wait for our number to get called. I know this because I've served 10 churches and I've been this person where I'm like, I'm good to go. You all worry about you. But that's part of what God was helping me to repent of as a pastor even to say, I want to make sure everybody else is ready to go as well. So we might want to think about uh, just God's spirit on us. Eugene Peterson, who spent his last years of life translating the Bible in, in modern language, passed away. About a year ago, and he said um, that in, in living the resurrection, that most people um, do this salvation experience like Billy Sunday's formula. They hit the sawdust trail, they fall on their knees and receive Christ as their Savior. Then they walk out of the tent, uh, go into the street, get hit by a Mack truck, go straight to heaven. You must admit that's a wonderful formula for getting to heaven the quickest and easiest way. Wouldn't that be nice? We wouldn't sin on the way. But we are called not only to get our ticket punched, but then to do something with that. So tonight it's about 
how we can have a passion for the cross, not only for us, but for those who are lost, who are standing outside the gate. And the first thing I would just commend to you is we got to make sure our ticket is punched. We, we need to know Jesus. We need to know about him. Last night I had a couple of friends come up and, and greet me, and, and I didn't know those friends that I knew from one place didn't know the friends that knew from another place. And they're just standing there, and finally I introduced them that my mother would be upset that I didn't think of that, but I just figured they knew each other, and they didn't. And so I introduced them, and I sometimes think about that with Jesus. I assume everybody knows Jesus, so I don't introduce him to anybody, and they're just standing there wanting to know this Jesus that lives in me. Maybe that's you. James McDonald, an evangelist, said one point in his life, if your faith hasn't changed you, has it saved you? Does that hurt a little? We need to be people that are on fire because we have a destination called heaven and we want everybody we know to go. And yet we kind of calm down and we're not sure we're going to offend anybody or we're not sure the right words to say. And so we're just real quiet and we hope maybe somebody else will do that. But Paul says tonight in Romans 1, For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it's a power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then the Gentile. For the gospel is the righteousness of God revealed, a righteousness that is faith from faith first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. So do not be ashamed of the gospel. I agreed this year to teach Sunday school to middle schoolers, uh, we have some that have graduated up, and I said I would never teach middle school again. I had a bad experience in college as a Christian ed major, and my shoes got thrown out the window, and I don't know how that happened, but I, I said I'll never do that. And even when my girls were middle school, um, I wasn't real excited about that. That was a hard years for us. So, but now I find myself with these middle schoolers coming to church, and, and just, just, they're not going to remember anything I say. I know this. They're middle schoolers. But they're going to look at the Jesus that lives in me. So it's hard. I have to kind of keep a smile on and keep it uh, upbeat. And so a couple Sundays ago, one of them said, my friend asked me what I do in this church every Sunday. He thinks it's a waste of time. He said, there is no God. There is no heaven. There is no hell. And what do I do with that? So I just put my lesson away. I'm like, this is a way better lesson than what I had planned. And we began to talk about this on a middle school level. And I realized they're in the forefront. They're living in the culture, these kids today. And they've got to know not only what they believe, but that they have a support system when they share that with their friends. If you remember back when you were middle school, uh, popularity was everything. And to be one of those Bible-believing Christians... That's not real popular right now in these days and time. So we shared a little bit about this and how to arm ourselves with the word of God. And we talked a little bit about uh, that God does exist because we wouldn't have this conversation if not. Then we talked about if heaven existed and hell existed. And we, we got into all of that. They were excited. They could say the word hell in the class. And they want to know a lot about it. And I said, I bet you if your friend knew about hell he believed that God exists and heaven exists. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. Jesus said, 
What can a man give in exchange for his soul? Whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. Well, that would be all we need to hear tonight. We are called to not be ashamed of the gospel. So I was thinking, what causes us to be ashamed, not to share our witness, not to live into our witness, uh, particularly as Methodists. And the things that I've come up with, or maybe they can add to the list, are perhaps the, the idea of rejection, maybe of failure, maybe it's just not having the right things to say. What if they ask me a question I can't answer? Um, maybe failure, maybe they, they don't take it to heart and they go out and, and they're worse off than they were before. So what is it that causes us to be ashamed of the gospel? You know, as I was thinking about Paul as he wrote this whole book of Romans, he shares in the book of 1 Corinthians all the things he had to endure. And remember his past, he was a persecutor of Christ's followers. He was zealous for the Lord as, as a Jew, and then he, he had his Damascus experience on the road and as he did, and he met Jesus face to face, it changed him, and now he's zealous for Jesus. And so he had a lot of people that didn't trust him, they mocked him, they made fun of him. He was often in prison more times than he can, he can count, beaten without number. He was often in danger of death. He said he was five times, he received the Jewish 39 lashes. Three times he was beaten with rods. One time he was stoned. Three times he was shipwrecked a day and night that he had to spend in the deep. And in all of his journeys, and people saw him coming and, and kind of turned their back, he was more, even more transplanted into this gospel. And he writes these words, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it has a power of salvation. There comes a time when all of us have to make a decision of what we stand for, and that the, the salvation story in us is bigger than any other threat around us. And sometimes it takes a life-threatening moment uh, that we have to finally define ourselves. And I think in the Methodist Church right now, the United Methodist Church, we're at that life-defining moment where we have to decide not to be ashamed of the gospel and to steadily um, begin to share Christ with others. A few years ago, I got a car, a new car, and um, one of my appointments, and I was so excited about this little car. Now, we still have it. It's got 200,000 miles on it. And so I splurged and got this license plate that said Rev Mary. I was so excited until I realized I have to drive it now. I've got I've to drive it the speed limit. I, I've got to be nice and not take the first parking spot at Walmart. Um, Every place I go, i got to watch how I behave. And so I decided when it came time to renew that license plate, I was going to let it go. I was going to let the name go. But we were at one of a campground somewhere, and someone stopped and said, You're a minister? I didn't know that they allowed women ministers. And so um, I just kind of quickly shuffed it off and moved on. I didn't get involved. And I thought, I had an opportunity to talk about the Jesus that lives in me. We all have those opportunities to put that out there, that I am a Christ follower. I had a friend who once told me 
that if there was a great clearance sale going on, would you be ashamed to tell your neighbor that there's a great clearance sale? Everything's half off or 75% off. Even if you didn't know them, you would still share, hey, have you gone to the mall and gone to this great sale? Why don't we do that with Jesus Christ? Let me tell you, this coupon evangelism is that we get 100% off with Jesus Christ. Why don't we tell folks that? If you'll come to church on Sunday, there's a huge sale going on, and it's free to come and hear the gospel that has a power to save people. This friend of mine got so into this idea that she decided she would leave coupons in stores, and she would be attached to that coupon, so she'd be kind of holding her and lingering around, and when she saw someone that didn't have a coupon, she'd say, would you like a coupon to this store? I think it was Hobby Lobby, because I got the idea from her. I like to go to Hobby Lobby. You get 40% off one item only. And so she was handing these out, and then she said this. She said, I can save you more than 40%. And they're like, how? Why? Tell me more. And she said, his name is Jesus Christ. She was not ashamed to use that in her. Think about the ways in which we have opportunity every day to share the love of Christ, and share the hope that lives in us. So we cannot be ashamed of the gospel of what Jesus has done for us. I imagine when we get to heaven, we're going to see all the people that we pass coupons out to, and they're going to say, thank you for telling me where the great sale was. But the other side of that is going to heaven and not seeing anybody that says thank you for sharing Christ. That's going to be embarrassing, isn't it? So I want you to know as, as Christ followers that we are called to, to share the gospel unashamedly. And even in this adulterous and sinful generation, I think even now more than ever, to have holy boldness and share Christ with others. We also have got to share that we can trust Jesus. Do you know that 90% of our fear of sharing the gospel is opening our mouth. Do you know that when we open our mouth, the Holy Spirit just somehow takes all of those jumbled up words that you have and it makes sense to the person listening. This is God, because when God pours forth his word in you, it does not come back empty. And so if we would just tell ourselves, okay, if this is all they have to hear Jesus, I'm going to open my mouth and tell them how I know Jesus. You are actually the expert on your story, and the Holy Spirit lives in you. The Gideons will testify this all the time, that the Bible that we hold is a most powerful sword. Hebrews 4 says, For the word of God is alive and powerful and sharper than the two-edged sword, cutting between the soul and the spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our most innermost thoughts and desires. I was talking with one of our members this week, and, and the Lord just kind of gave me a scripture um, that just kind of came out of my mouth when I was talking to her. I didn't pre-plan it. I said, Jeremiah 29, 11, praying that for you. Sometimes God will give you the, the city, the street, and the house number, and then you go look it up and go, wow, some of you know Jeremiah 29, 11, for I, the plans I have for you, plans not to harm you but to prosper you. So I shared that with her, and she looked surprised. Well, I am a pastor, I'll, I'll, you know, I know scripture sometimes, but she was surprised 
Anyway, did I quote a scripture? And I said, why? And she said, I just read that in the upper room today. And what's more, my prayer partner just sent me Jeremiah 29, 11. Maybe he's trying to tell me something, you think? The word of God will come out. When you least expect it, it's going to come out, and it's going to pierce somebody in the right way. So trust opening your mouth and sharing the word of God. Romans 10 says, how can they call on the one they haven't believed? How can they believe in the one they haven't heard? How can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it's written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. So it's important that we are news bearers and to go out with boldness and open our mouth and share the gospel. But then we got to share the truth of the gospel. Paul says to preach the righteousness of God more than the love of God. And let me just share what that means to me. He said this is a gospel that has a power for salvation to everyone believes. Now, it's easy to share that God loves you. God loves everybody. Smile. God loves you. It's harder to say you have a problem because we don't like to judge people. I don't like it when someone judges me. But when we know people long enough, we can kind of do, I do the Dr. Phil method and say, how's that working for you, that life you're living in? How is that working? I put it back on them and they kind of, well, not so good. Well, God loves you, but you know, God also hates sin. Did you know that? He hates a sin in me. He hates a sin in you because he knows it puts separation between us and God. And he loves us and he wants to live in relationship with us. And he's a righteous God. And righteous as God is righteous, he can't stand to be in sin where sin is. And so we have to share the whole truth, not just half the truth that God loves you and you just invite Jesus in your heart. God loves you, and he doesn't want sin to rule in your heart, and he's come to save us through his son, Jesus Christ. Amen. I had a woman in my church who said she didn't need the cross, and she didn't really like it when we talked about the blood of Jesus. and all That was just awful, she said. It just hurt her to listen to that. She kind of liked to skip out on Good Friday. It was just too much. She said, I love Jesus anyway. He didn't need to do that for me. I thought, wow. She said it, but a lot of people think it. We don't need Jesus to die for us. We'd follow him anyway. But the truth is, no, none of us. There's not one of us righteous. No, not one. We don't need to sell the gospel by glossing over the negative aspects of salvation just so everybody will make it easy medicine to go down. We need to share the whole gospel. And you can start with you as an example and not be ashamed to say, I was a sinner, and I still sin, maybe less than I did before. But I am needy. I need to come to church every Sunday to confess what I did Monday. I need the blood of Christ covering me. Jesus died for Mary because I was a sinner, and I couldn't fix this life of mine. And I could go into long detail about that, if I know you. But I say that we share what Jesus Christ has done for us. Don't be afraid to give the bad news before the good news. John Wesley, one of the, the founder of our Methodist movement, he got Jesus in a tradition where everybody was very formal and educated and well-read and well-bred, 
And when his heart was strangely warmed and he realized he didn't have the, the assurance of salvation until he prayed and in that Bible study group, he got on fire for God. In fact, so much he began to preach the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. And he got kicked out of church. He had to preach on corners of streets and even one time on his daddy's grave because that's all they let him have. They threw rocks at him, even threw tomatoes at him. They called him names. He writes a lot about this in his uh, diary. So pretty well for 20 years he was just run out of places and called all kinds of names and everybody scoffed at him and he wasn't a real preacher. But he preached the gospel. And the people started responding because they knew they were sick with sin. And he writes a lot about this in his diary of how they came, some of them to mock him and scourge him, even hired kind of hit men to come after him at one point. And they left knowing the love of Jesus. Isn't that amazing? God is so good. Because he didn't back down. They said in his later years, in his 60s, he had preached to thousands, if not tens of thousands of people. He was, became a celebrity, and then everybody wanted him to preach in their pulpit because he was preaching the truth that set people free. Well, I thought about that, and I said, Oh, John Wesley, if you could see our churches today, we, we have smile, God loves you all over the place, but we aren't preaching the way that you preached. Nobody's throwing tomatoes at me after church on Sunday. I had a, a, a man in his 90s in my very first church. I was 27 when I came to that church, and he was in his 90s. And we had a big generation gap, let me just say. But he came, became a Christ follower at 70, and he didn't make up lost time at all. His name was Hurley Moore. He sold uh, fuller brushes from door to door. And so when he became saved, he bought tracts, Bible tracts, and went door to door and, and sold Jesus. And he would come to my office, and he would weep at how many people shut the door on him, called him names, you crazy old man. And he would go home, and he would weep for those neighbors who shut the door on the gospel. But every morning, he'd get back up and go out again and do it all over again. Every Sunday, he would come to Rockford Street, and he would ask me, do you know, do you, do you know Jesus? I said, yes, I know Jesus. Does the devil hate you? I said, I don't know. Well, if you know Jesus, the devil's going to hate you. Just get ready. But no one's thrown tomatoes at me lately, so I need to pick up my game. Maybe you do too. You can love people and also share the gospel, the whole gospel. We're called to invite people to know the gospel personally. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because of the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes first to the Jew and the Gentile. Notice he put that in singular language, everyone, Jew or Gentile. What he meant to say is salvation is an individual matter, a personal matter. Get to know everyone and the matter of their hearts. We are not saved corporately. Um, we are saved individually. Our spouse can't save you. Our membership in a church can't save you. A hymn can't save us. Um, good works can't save us. We have to come before the Lord individually and, and know him personally. And so Paul said the word of God can do that for us. And so I pray that we are people that come to know Jesus personally, not because our grandma knew 
Jesus or, or a friend knew, but that we know him personally. When you know Jesus personally, you're going to want to share Jesus with other people. So the good news is salvation is available to everyone who believes. We're having church signs right now moving around in the United Methodist Church that say all are welcome, which I think is wonderful to put that out there. Um, but I want to change that mind, mindset mentality to say all sinners, poor and needy, are welcome here. Take away the shame and just say everybody that's going to be honest gets to come and deal with our sin and our separation from Jesus so we can become Christ's followers. We are not, not a pretentious church. We want everybody to know that this altar is for them. What would happen one day if our churches would all be honest and open before the Lord? We would be here for hours up at the altar. So for Paul, he's like, I am not ashamed of the gospel. In fact, he's like, I'm running out of time. I've got a lot of people to see and spread the gospel. Don't compromise on the gospel. We were at a church uh, doing a church children's ministry in the country, and I'm just going to say that the, their personality, they're very conservative, probably mostly Republican, uh, farmers and firemen, and gun-toting Christians. And I loved them. They were wonderful. And I share that because in comes a Muslim family to this children's camp. And this is 10 years out from 9-11, uh, and I'm going, how's this going to go? It's a Christian children's camp, and we're doing a musical, and a Muslim family shows up. And so I had my smile, Jesus, or smile, God loves you, smile on, and I thought, how am I going to water this play down so they feel welcome? And I prayed about it, and the Lord just kind of said, go with what you had. They came to you, right? And so I, I said, well, I talked to the mother, and I said, this is a Christian camp. And she interrupted and said, what, well, is my daughter going to be welcome here? And I said, yes, we'll welcome her. And I'm like, hey, everyone smile. Let's welcome them, right? And, and, um, and so I gave her the book to take home. The mother, I said, here's the songs we're singing. And I knew she's going to come back and say, our daughter can't be in this play because there's a song called Jesus, Jesus. I've got the keys of the kingdom, Jesus. And, and she came back and said, there's a song I can't have her sing. And I thought, it's going to be that one, if any of it. That's the bold one. And she said, no, no, Jesus He's a kind man. We're fine with Jesus. The one she can't sing is the one that says, I pray to the Father above. Landon knows that one. And, and we don't pray to the Father above in our religion. That's, that's dishonorable. So I said, well, can she sit out of that one? Yes, she can do the play, but she has to sit out on that. So I watched this play, and on Friday night, the biggest smile of all was this little Muslim girl. She was from... Abu Dhabi, and they were in, in High Point for the summer, and she's singing, I've got the keys of the kingdom, Jesus, Jesus. And I'm like, oh, Lord, I couldn't make this up. This is great. And then when we did the other prayer song, she sat out. At the end, we had uh, cookies and type fellowship, and, and the mother came up and thanked us, thanked us for loving her child. She said, this has been the best thing. She's been talking about it all week long. I moved away from that church, and my firemen and farmers, Republican gun-toting Christians, 
had another musical, and they were in for that summer and went back again. Isn't that amazing? Don't discount the power of the gospel. I don't know what's going to happen to that Muslim family, but I know the power of the gospel has gotten in. When you sing a song for five days a week and then do a show, it is in your mindset. God's power is it doesn't return void. So I want to share, uh, in closing, not to be ashamed of the gospel. The worst thing that will happen is nothing. That's the worst thing that can happen. Is you're not going to mess their lives up any more than they're already messed up, so you might as well go for it and tell how you know Jesus. So how do you do this? I was reading a Barna group research, and they said in these days, people prefer interactions, personal interactions of people spending time with them. No longer can you really go out and put a flyer on the door. You could still try and, and have big events. What they want is one-on-one -on -one personal engagements. They want to know if you're really for real. That's not hard. One of our church members' daughters shared with me that they go to a cafe and they noticed that there was a group having a Bible study at one corner and another group that was there for two hours. And when the waitress came to them, she kind of was discouraged and she said, they won't leave. And I make my money on the next person that comes. And, and she was just kind of, and they felt really bad for that. And they said, we left her a really good tip and we did not linger uh, we decided, we, had, we said, we'll pray for you, and we left a big tip to cover the other Christians in the room. And they left, and then they said, God told them to go back every day to the same cafe. And make sure you get the same waitress. And you have small doses of interaction. And they became friends. And they got to share Christ with her. Isn't that amazing? Just this one-on-one -on -one, um, interaction. So here's how you share Jesus in a in a very short period of time. You have what I call a, a B.C. and an A.D. story before Christ and after he's dom dominated in your life, after dominion. And your A.D. story needs to be longer than your B.C. story or the devil gets all the credit. So what you say is, here's how I lived before I met Christ. I was lost. Um, I was depressed. I didn't have a focus. I, I was afraid. Whatever that is, the BC, my life was a wreck. And then someone told me, or I heard this slash come into my life, this truth about Jesus, that he loves me even though I was a sinner, he died for me. And I thought, there's no one that could do that, that's that great. So I had to trust that this is who he says he is, and I trusted him, and I allowed him to forgive me of my sins and come into my life, and since then, I'm a whole new person. The old is gone, the new has come. I have a whole new outlook on life. I am forgiven, and I'm set free. I'm not ashamed of who I am because of what Jesus has done for me, and you can just share however it is. There's no set formula. It's just sharing the story of Jesus that lives in you, and you are the best storyteller of your story. So you find ways, creative ways to do that that are genuine to you. I have one church member who passes out business cards. You know what's on his business card? He says, hi, my name is David. 
if you missed me, you haven't missed anything. But if you miss Jesus, you've missed everything. And he hands these out, and they laugh, and he goes, I mean it. Let me tell you about Jesus. You don't need to know me. You need to know Jesus. That is what he uses, and he used to be a business salesman. Think about the ways in which Jesus wants to share, wants you to share Jesus with others. So in closing, I just want to share a a personal um, account of how hard it is to share with your own family members. But God wants you to share with them too. When I was in seminary, in the the well-bred, well-read category, learning about who Jesus is in the seminary setting, my mother was going through cancer, and it was terminal, and she lived about six months between her diagnosis and, and her death. My mother was a Baptist that married a Methodist preacher, and, um, but never once growing up did I know she knew Jesus, and I wasn't going to ask. She's a very strong woman, right, Doug? And we weren't going to make her mad. But she was dying on, on her deathbed, and I knew it, and I was two states away, and all I knew to do was write a letter. And after I mailed the letter, I wrote about how I know Jesus and how she needs to know Jesus before she dies or she's not going to be in heaven with me. And I thought, that sounds very bold and arrogant and prideful, but, it, but I was scared for her. And I sent this letter up, and it was eight pages long, and she's kind of in a chemo coma. And I thought, she's not even going to get to read it, but I sent it. But then I wish I hadn't sent it because what if she does hear it and get mad and this sort of, you know, back and forth. And, um, but I left it with the Lord because it was such a burning desire. She's my mother, and I want to know that she went to heaven. So at her funeral visitation, someone came up to me I did not even know. And she said, you must be Mary, the daughter that lives in North Carolina. And I said, I am, well, I am so-and-so. And I was in the hospital room when the mail came, and I read your letter. I hope you don't mind. I read it to your mother. I said, well, how was my mother? She said she was in a coma, kind of. She was sedated. But I saw a tear come out of her eye, and she squeezed my hand, so I know she heard it. And I thought, what if I hadn't sent that? Maybe she knew Jesus. I don't know, but she never told me she knew Jesus. But I didn't want her leaving without knowing Jesus. And maybe someone else told her. But I wanted to make sure. And God was so gracious to tell me that someone actually read that letter to her. After that happened, I thought, I don't want my kids to not know I don't know Jesus. They know I know. They're probably tired of hearing it. But I want them to know. I want them to know Jesus. Do you see? Don't be ashamed to tell your kids. You're like, well, they're old, they're grown, they're on their own. Can you imagine the best influence on someone is their own parent, or better yet, their own child, telling you about Jesus? It's incredible. The one that doesn't want you to share about Jesus, he's not even here tonight, he's not invited. The devil, he loves shame, he loves guilt, he loves that 50, getting a 50 mark on a paper because he wanted you to go hide, but... You know, Jesus took all of our shame on the cross. He bore our shame. So we don't have to be ashamed anymore. We just stand out there whole and and go, you took it all away. 
I am imperfect, but your perfection has been placed in me. So they don't ever see me anymore. They see Jesus that lives in me. And so we're called to share Christ. So tonight, we're going to close with prayer. Some of you need to have your paper punched because you're the OCD up here. That's fine. But I just invite you. You don't have to come, but if you want to come. And I'm going to leave these hole punchers in your hands tonight. And if there's someone that you know doesn't know Jesus or you think they don't know Jesus, and maybe they're even in your own family, take a risk and punch a hole and give them to Jesus. Say, I, I'm going to share Jesus this week with this person that you have put on my heart. I've been waiting for the right time. Well, this is the right time because tomorrow may never come. I'm going to share Jesus. I'm going to be bold and share my story. And it may not be perfect. It may not be published. But it's my story of how Jesus saved me and made me whole.